survival. I understand. I promised them women. Eight days ago, I found Jones with his gun in his mouth. He said he was going to kill himself because there was no future. What could I say to him? We fight off the infected or we wait until they starve to death and then what? What do nine men do except wait to die themselves? I moved us from the blockade, I set the radio broadcasting and I promised them women. Because women mean a future. Welcome back to the Fear of God podcast, your favorite podcast, everybody's favorite podcast. We are so glad you're here for this episode and this installment of our Umbrella series for the year titled 2020-2020. To know exactly what it's all about, go back and listen to our precap episode from, I don't know, six weeks or so ago, the end of January, for deeper insight into what the series is all about. But basically, you all are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we're covering one from each year. We began formally two weeks ago with Shadow of the Vampire and continued last week with Donnie Darko. Uh, And we have a very special uh, movie for us all to talk about today. But speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And and guys, you know, I'm a little worried about Reed. He was here a minute ago, but... Strangely, he had this big giraffe and he tossed it on the ground and I was like, Oi, you can't leave that lion around. And he was like, it's not a lion, it's a giraffe. And then stormed off. It was weird, but he'll be back. I hope. Uh, In the meantime, we want you to know that at the fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. If that sounds like something you'd enjoy, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions around horror and genre-themed media, books, and film. The phrase horror and genre-themed is kind of a tough one to say. But here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now, when I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, and anywhere else podcasts are sold. While you're at it, Subscribe to us on your favorite platform and also, and especially on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and or glowing review. 
To find us on the web, visit thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find a blog and an episode archive, and you'll be able to purchase merchandise from the show. See fellow foggers in their Fear of God merch on t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. Read! Hey, you're you're back, buddy. Hey, man. Top of the morning to you, mate. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I'm not even going to do no, that. No, speaking, just... <laughs> speaking of mates, Reed, you are my running mate this election oh. year. And I don't know if you heard, but the did. Michigan, Missouri, and Mississippi primaries were today. And Reed, we won. We were just sweeping. We're just, we won. It's a reports are, reports. It is. Reports are not yet in for Washington, Idaho, and North Dakota. But we'll get back to this next week, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. We'll know. We'll know in time. But I've got a good feeling about uh, it. Me too. Um, me too. It, I mean, Riri, we are. If, pat, if pattern we're, we're the, continues, yes. I, we're the front. I mean, I think it's. I think it kind of goes without saying we're the front runners now. I mean. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. There's always a dark horse in there somewhere. Just going to come in and. Who knows? But you know, it's a pretty dominating lead. I feel proud of us. I feel uh, I feel confident about our continued success in this uh, uh, podcasting primary venture. It's uh, it, yeah, yeah. We're do- we're doing well. We're doing well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we're gonna go all the way. And <laughs> yes, the, the, we're gonna we're gonna start tapping people for the uh, for the cabinet. You know, mm-hmm. I've never I've never formed a cabinet before. It'll be fine. Well, we're doing It'll it in fun. real time. Like every time we have a guest, they get a position. I, I mean, like you, amazing. you get a position in the cabinet. You get a position in the cabinet. I, know. I feel yeah. like with our yeah, with yeah. our British sort of flavor today, you know, like maybe maybe oh. we should have had a, you know, a, a foreign correspondent on. I don't, I don't know. I, uh, but, you know, re- regardless. Uh, well, foreign correspondent Vera Gowdy, you are with us in spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Not in so, actuality. So can I tell you something about British people? <laughs> I, saw, I don't know should you what said, where is this no, going i saw a tweet and it, it's really funny I, this this will definitely go somewhere positive oh of course i saw a I'm tweet sure. and it's and i don't remember who tweeted it or whatever but i thought it was delightful it said i'm really disappointed that british people call mac and cheese mac and cheese instead of something like patty winks and chonkers and i thought that was really funny <laughs> It's like it's, we got your mac. Yeah. You got your mac and cheese. Oh, you mean some patty wax and chonkers? Yeah. Uh, well, is it patty wax or patty wings? You said I mean, patty wings, but then you said spoke patty wax. Well, you know, taster's choice. I mean, I guess. Well, uh, no, no, no. It's neither. Unfortunately, it's just mac and cheese. So is it neither or is it neither? It's. <laughs> is this a mustache or is this a mistake? It's clearly a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was you're, that, this. Is what happens when you go on Twitter? Is <laughs> <I find>, you, <laughs> yes, right, right, right. This is the direct Twitter is like of this, me going on. Twitter. I love that. Like you know, Twitter is this like just this bog of <laughs> of human verbal excrement. And I, what Whoa. I love about you, what I love about you, Never is you. you're like. Patty Winks and Chonkers. That is my takeaway from Twitter. Yeah. I'm proud of you, Reed. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, yeah, never use the words verbal and excrement in the same <laughs> sentence again. Well, you know, it relays the point. Well, it sure does. You know what else relays the point? Unlike Patty Winks and Chonkers. No, hmm? you know what else relays the point? I don't. What you watching? Do, 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 do. What you reading? Patty Winks and Chonkers. What are you listening to? 
<laughs> you know what's always a good idea for you and I? Oh boy. Is determining to go into a dialect in the moment and then committing. It it really <laughs> it really always pays it. off. Yeah, it pays off. I mean, <laughs> we always get it absolutely correct that yes. whatever accent yes. it is, we pull it off. We have a Rolodex of of global dialects and uh we just oh, summon listeners them like, well i used to enjoy nathan reed's just like you know just astute assessments now all they do is just do stupid voices for two hours i guess so mm-hmm. uh did you ask me something i did uh, i was wanting to know what you had been watching reading and or listening to well friend lackey yeah. um yeah. i think i think we have a mutual whatcha for the moment we do um we do we do um well <laughs> and uh i happened to steal away recently and and you did get to this one first so i will give you yeah i'll give you some credit well, here um things are changing i'm just letting you know <laughs> <laughs> i gotta prioritize this me, damn movie what, because it's gonna I, be I on the top say, 10 <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I know it, i know <laughs> what's so funny is like I, despite your your you know, kind of blistering accusation. Uh, at least the first time we did this, I was not actually trying with great intent to mm-hmm. beat you. Now it's mm-hmm. become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew when you went to see it, because I know how you are about movie outings right. and how sparse they can be. I was like, look at this little Patty Winks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patty Winks and Chonkers. He's, he's trying to go get this he's movie like, oh, out of the he's way like, oh, I'm going to go see, I'm going to go see Invisible Man, honey. I got to prioritize it. Okay. You don't understand. Yeah, and then you're like, well, where is he? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. I, I found that one on Twitter. That, that, I got, I won't, I won't. <laughs> That's another one of those verbal excrement jokes that would just. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. It's just. Anyway, so yes, we did both, uh, independent of each other, uh, see The Invisible Man. Yes. And, um, yes. Uh, I think I will speak for me, and then you can likewise. I, I thought it was great. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I have no doubt it will show up on uh, a best of 2020 list. Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If not, I mean, I don't know what else is coming out this year, but 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 a contender for the top. Like, it is so well put together and so broadly beloved. Like, I, I have found very, very few people who watched it who did not actively enjoy it. It's a, it's a really outstanding modernization of the Invisible Man story. They, they not only managed to bring in some updated technology and some updated logistical dynamics but also brought it pretty relevant thematically as well with some things that were prescient for our time and uh yeah i mean it's just it's remarkable and and so a really a brilliant approach and of course now (laughs) less than like two or three weeks since its release now there's announcements about you know they're gonna update a dracula now they're gonna update a frankenstein now there's all of these you know monster verse in the works not that long ago the universal monster pantheon the dark universe was effectively dead (laughs) dead in the water with tom cruise's uh the mummy he didn't direct it but starring in it and uh and now it appears that there's an option and a possibility that if they're even if they're not all connected that we could see major reinventions of all of those core characters which honestly if they're all as good as invisible man i'm very excited for yeah i mean i think at this point i would hope that uh, Universal would set aside the Dark Universe branding just because it's one kind of silly and two they they have not succeeded with any of that yet. Right. Um. And and yeah, I mean, I think a bigger takeaway is goodness gracious, Blumhouse. Like yeah, they oh yeah, you know they they have mastered 
their niche mm-hmm. and it's really really impressive and i don't know how much I, I honestly do not know how actively involved jason blum is in each of these projects so i will say this with a big like caveat that i don't know how if he's just funding it or if he's actually in the development process if he happens to be an active participant in the development of these projects he's a genius like not just a marketing genius like he has stumbled onto a substantive way to tell stories that are broadly effective they've had plenty of misses it's not uh you know like a complete uh unanimous everything is majorly successful but their misses have been far fewer than their hits and i mean if jason blum is actually helping to develop these projects he is brilliant i mean he's brilliant well, in his own and, right as a marketer but and to your point though i mean this is the formula they've mastered and that is you you focus on competent production over tent pole and yep. your misses yep. because they don't cost as much don't matter as much right. in the grand view whereas because something like the mummy featuring tom cruise is such a grandiose yeah. production mm-hmm. when it misses which it was I mean, I, I don't like to be a naysayer, but had nothing going for it. No, I mean, it's it just, true. Uh, you know, when when it misses so magnificently, mm-hmm. it's a significant miss. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and that's really now. And gosh, speaking of Blumhouse, um, we are recording on a Tuesday. I, the Hunt is coming out. Yeah. And if there was a, if there was a move that this coming weekend, yeah. like if there was a movie that has mastered it's niche mm-hmm. it's that one mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've seen the most recent trailer like it was on invisible man on my invisible oh man. yeah yeah um, then yeah i saw that trailer yeah and it's well just just in other words using the headline nature sure of of it to sell itself yeah that's it was great fantastic and it's blumhouse as well and it's old lindelof too that's funny i knew it was lindelof i did not know it was blumhouse that's interesting cool yeah i'm pretty sure yeah it's uh i, I think that's correct cool um but anyway, yeah, yep. that's that's what I've been Invisible Man. Now, if you have not, uh, by the time this airs, it, it's probably uh, heading on its way out of theaters. But if you have not yet checked out Invisible Man, and if you are on the fence about it, huge, huge uh, recommendation for it from us. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, there's nothing more to say except for that was another installment of What You Watching? What You Reading? Oh, my God, what you listening to? <laughs> 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 I, like, I don't know what like, just happened there. I was like all prepared for it, and then suddenly it's like, "What yeah. you reading?" I was like, "There's another, <laughs> there's another voice in here." I'm just talking about a visible man. And Is that my voice? Is that my um, voice? So yes, that has been a whatcha and uh, whatcha know. It is time to move on to the next thing. Read today. Mm-hmm. We're continuing 2020, 2020. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we and, are. Uh, we had 2002. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I I misspoke for a moment. Um, <clears throat> Lackey is uh, Lackey the listicle, <laughs> the occasionally listless list making Lackey. Um, <laughs> would you be so kind, my friend, as to enumerate for the listeners? I will. Even in the word listener is the word list. That's true. Um, how they can continue to assist us as we move through 2020. 2020. Absolutely. All right. So. 
Before we get into this list, we are about to reveal your top 10 favorite horror films of 2002. If you want to participate, which we need you to do, you need to go to thefearofgodpodcast.com. You need to click on the banner at the top. It will take you to the surveys. Some of the surveys have already closed down because, obviously, the lists are tallied now. Um, so you need to go to the banner, click on there. You'll see the available surveys left. We especially need you. We've added some new surveys, so if you've already ventured over there and voted on 2000 through 2005, then you might want to venture over and throw your votes in for 2006, 7, and 8, which are up and are available. Um, cast your vote for as many of those films as you want. We'll tally the list for you, and we will be counting down through this year. We will be counting down your favorite horror films of each year, starting in 2000, going all the way up to 2020. So, um, yes, today we have for you t the top 10 favorite horror films of 2002. We're going to count this list down in a second. But I got to I got to mention, can I we're not going to do this every episode. We've never done it yet. What? No, no, no. What? It's just uh -oh. I'm going to mention uh -oh. I'm going to mention one film that did not make the top 10, but I just want to mention it because it's Fear of God canon and it came oh so close. Very, very close. By a very slim margin, it got uh edged out, but number 11 would have been Lucky McKee's May, which we covered back in the earlier days of the Fear of God, and and from what I understand, is a top ten favorite film for you, isn't it? Like, uh, like you love you love May, right? I mean, uh, top ten is an understatement. It, it it would be this is cruising. It's so it's so on the list. It's off the list. Like that's <laughs> that's how fire that film it, is. It, it kept rising all the way up to number one, and then kept <laughs> and then just kept going. It just was like what list? What list? It's like a Looney. It's like a Looney Tunes gag. With the, <laughs> With the carnival thing, with the bell at the top, and you hammer it down, it's like, I was like, yeah, blows <laughs> up the top. Smashed like, the list. Off it goes, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I had to give some love and to that was old just Lucky like, McKee. May I never see that again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, we're going to go there. So, no. Um, all right. I'm just, no. just rolling with it. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, you want to start us off I would, with number two? I will. I'm happy to. I would like to point out that one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, I've seen six and a half of these films, so that's oh um, okay, great, it's pretty good. It's it's growing. That's pretty good. Uh, and then it shrinks again for twenty for two thousand three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right, so we're on we're on two thousand two, right? Yes, two thousand two. So go ahead and start us off with number okay. ten. So number ten is no. You start with ten. I'm gonna go. Oh, okay, no problem. So number ten, directed by Mark Pellington, starring Richard Gere. It is the Mothman Prophecies. What's funny about this film is I remember watching it in proximity to when it came out, and I remember liking it a lot. I have never gone back to revisit it, um, so I'm not sure how well it would hold up. But um, I have pretty fond well, memories. It's number of it. ten. It's number ten. Uh, evidently, and, I'm not alone. I mean, May is right behind it, so that must mean just by virtue of you know yeah. that that right. mothman must be all right sure just <laughs> sure uh moving right along number nine <laughs> this was of my six and a half i've seen this is the half um mm -hmm. is the film dog soldiers uh directed by neil marshall ah yes. um you know which do you recognize think, that name i think uh neil marshall or dog soldiers neil marshall uh, sure, I recognize the name, but uh, at the, the moment, I'm not going to know. I have not seen it. I have not seen it, but uh, he directed the uh, recently uh, much derided uh, starring David Harbour Hellboy. 
Mm. Yes. So I have not, I have not seen Hellboy yet. So I don't know. If, that makes me sad. I know, right? I wanted that to do well. I love Mason Harbor, and yeah. that seems a pretty fitting casting. No, absolutely. He he seemed it, to look it, great. It bombed gloriously. No, it was it was pretty devastating. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, but we but so no, he Hellboy's were, but, not on the but list. But we did. We, neither of us neither of us have seen Hellboy. But correct. One and a half of us have seen Dog Soldiers. Yeah. Do you want Do you want to tell um, him why it's a half? You want you want to just go ahead and spill the beans? You want to spill your beans? <laughs> Hark! Okay, so um, I can if you want to. I mean, I always wow. You know, just this, makes it's a little antagonistic. So so back in the fall of 2019, I and and several of the court uh, actually on writing for those of yes, you who follow yes. along at home, our on writing episode was recorded during a weekend of what uh, was a gathering of faces new and old for Reed and myself. But uh, it was a little group of guys hanging out, watching movies, one of which was sort of dog soldiers. (laughs) Uh, We played this elaborate game to figure out what movie we wanted to watch. And dog soldiers won. And I and I think it was Andy had not seen it. Right. And um, the rest of the group, more or less, I think Ethan is excluded here. I think he watched. No, no, no. Yeah. Attempted to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, no. You you are correct. Ian was sitting on the couch with you guys. He was watching the film that was chosen by the group. Right. Exactly. Um, And while the film is on and half of the group is trying to watch it, the other half (laughs) is about two, two feet behind them. Um, just chattering and enjoying each other's company, which is great. It's great. Yeah, you know, community yeah. is great. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, so I picked up kind of every 10th word, uh, <laughs> from the, from the heavily British, uh, dog soldiers film. And, oh, man. and, and so the story lives in infamy. Yeah. I wonder if it's, is it Australian? I can't remember. I, I'm I'm struggling to remember the actual, but yes, they were heavily accented. Whatever, whoever they were, they were heavily accented. Whether it was, I, I don't think it's Australian, but but uh, but yes, and so uh, we I mean, were, but uh, I, at this point, who who can know? <laughs> no, I mean, no, of course, I, yeah. The you, movie played. It started and then it finished, <laughs> and dogs were involved. I apologize again for contributing <laughs> to the conversation behind you. I had never been in the same room with these gentlemen, and I wanted to. I am not impugning the desire to, you know, invest in and enrich fellowship and friendship. That, yeah, there is of course, absolutely nothing wrong and everything right about that in proper context. <laughs> <laughs> proper Moving context right along, being when the movie is not playing on the screen right right uh, right okay so moving right along um we have yet another entry by uh our beloved guillermo del toro this is the sequel to the film that basically is responsible for the marvel universe a la nathan rouse's trivial bit and that is it is blade 2 well, it is your number this eight. film not this film. no 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 i said it is the sequel to the film Oh, 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 yes. Sorry. That is that is what I said. See, I didn't let you listen I, to Dog People soldiers. were talking about or behind me, and you just... I'm wondering now just, how much you would have heard Dog Soldiers had you just been on your own. <laughs> I would have fallen asleep in that setting. I was too mad to in the real setting. <laughs> like, why are they talking behind me? Son of a... Oh, that's funny. So, but no, okay. Just in case you missed it. Dog Soldiers. Number eight was Blade Two by Guillermo del Toro, which I actually prefer to the first Blade. I think Blade Two is uh, is really quite excellent. Yeah, yeah. 
You know what? The, but Del Toro did the first one, right? No, 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 no. I forget who directed oh. the first one, but Del Toro only did the second one. I feel bad. We just sort of bypassed Dog Soldiers. I'm going to take like 30 seconds here. Just Dog Soldiers is about werewolves, yeah. military. If don't, you see no, it, don't spoil like, it for me. No. <laughs> you've seen half the movie. <laughs> um, no, I've seen all of it. I've just you've heard haven't comprehend. I've comp- half of it. I heard half of it, and I comprehended a third of it. This, yeah, this, that's kind of this list is so sloppy. In, <laughs> in okay, number fault. seven. <laughs> number seven is Fog Cannon. I you, you got to make these. You got to tag these on here so we can you know make reference to it. Is Baba Hotep directed by Don Coscarelli? Yes, uh, starring Fear of God Fave. Uh, Mr. Bruce Campbell, yeah. the one and only. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? If you can't remember what we've covered, that's not my fault. I didn't say I couldn't <laughs> remember what we've covered. I'm just saying I don't know the episode number, which oh, only Steve Beckley can do that is, on, that is you know, true. on he immediate can, ask. He can do it on command. Like it's, don't, you, it's, don't you do It's amazing. Well, don't make me take you off mic. <laughs> <laughs> Our <laughs> producer, Wraithen uh, Nouse, yeah. is going to like... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to get the hook out on you. <laughs> Okay, so number seven, Bubba Hotep, go back and, and by listen that, to I mean the Candyman hook. Oh, nice. You like that? I do, I do. Um, okay, so number seven, Bubba Hotep. Number six was a film I was happy to see make it this far up the list. It's a film I haven't seen in a long time, but it's a really interesting film. It's called One Hour Photo, directed by Mark Romanek, and it stars Robin Williams in one of his rare horror movie roles. Um, it is a really fascinating little film. It has been, again, as many with these, it's been years since I've seen it. You know, my biggest affection uh, connection to Mark Romanek is... Uh, nope. Did you ever see... It was it was pretty popular, but I don't know what your music video consumption was like in the past 10 to 15 years or whatever, but Johnny Cash, when he was making this big resurgence mm-hmm. and Rick Rubin was, um, you know, like helping him produce a bunch of new material and everything, he did a cover of Nine Inch Nails' song, Hurt. Hurt. And yep. that Hurt video, which was really popular and, and was seen widely, was directed by That's Mark. such a good cover. Oh, it's wonderful. And the video of it, which is as powerful as the rendition audibly, um, was directed by directed and conceptualized by Mark Romanek. Interesting. So, um, you, yeah. You know, I, I have seen that video. It's been years, and, and all I have is memories of black and white imagery but um this actually makes a one hour photo uh, with robin williams makes a good double feature with flubber those are great kind of in mm. in a pair in a pair yeah i would actually re- um, i would actually recommend <laughs> one hour photo with uh aladdin three the uh the king of thieves that's uh, are you sure that's three? Yeah, because Jafar is the two. Yeah, Return of Jafar is the, is the second one. But you know, one but hour, one hour photo. But I don't think Ro- Robin Williams doesn't do past one though. No, he does. He d- he did three. No, he does not. He did three. Really? Yeah. He came back for three. It was a contractual Blood. obligation. But yeah, you know who voiced? What? Yeah, you know who voiced him for number two? Will Smith. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. It uh it was uh my boy uh Dan Castellaneta of uh, Homer Simpson fame. Oh. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, pretty wild. Robin Williams came back for for uh, number three. Anyway, one uh, hour photo. You Robin know Williams. what? I, what? What? I have a fun. So you know, part of this is just trekking through nostalgia, right? Yeah, of course. And not not the Watchmen variety, but uh, although maybe um, uh, two thousand two is a good year, man. And mm. I saw a double feature at the Peach Tree Mall movie theater. 
in Columbus, Georgia. Okay. Of one hour photo and Moulin Rouge. Oh, wow. Is a heck of a double feature. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my gosh. And I doubt it will come up when we look at Box Office Mojo, but speaking of tops, Moulin Rouge is. Yes. Top, like three three for me in, yeah. in life. And that is actually not uh, sarcastic or jokey. You love that film tremendously. Um, I know it's not sarcastic or jokey. I know. I'm pointing it out for the listeners because the <laughs> listeners can't always tell. Sometimes you have such a deadpan delivery. It's just like, oh, like, yeah, oh yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what it is. Uh, no. No. All right. Oh, man. What was, what was number uh, five? Uh, number five on the list of Best of Horror 2002 as voted on by Fear of God listeners is Cabin Fever featuring... Chris Elliott, directed by Eli Roth. <laughs> that's, not, Kevin. that's Kevin Boy. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. No, uh, I've never seen Cabin Fever. Uh, I've lived you, it though. <laughs> oh, uh, you don't have to. Like it's. I don't. It's, I wasn't planning to. No, it's. I should preface my statement there that I am not an Eli Roth fan. I don't. I don't like his films uh, in general. So I know. A, I know he has a lot of fans, and clearly. Cabin Fever is number five on this list, so uh, you know I, I know that that is among his films. I mean, can you call yourself a horror fan, Reed? Wow! Like wow! I, I mean, mean, you ain't you ain't horror. <laughs> you ain't horror. <laughs> no, you ain't nothing. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, Hostel is obviously his most uh, popular and known film, but I think Cabin Fever, by and large, is what a lot of people cite as one of their favorites of his. I could be wrong about that because, again, it's hard for me to keep track. I am not an Eli Roth fan. So, um, although I did like the, he hosted the series uh, that AMC did on the uh, Masters of Horror, where he interviewed a lot of uh, yeah. legendary. It was it was pretty good. I forget exactly. It wasn't called Masters of Horror. That was the Showtime series. It was another. Um, shoot, and a, a history of horror, I think. But it was really good. Uh, I have seen the next four. The, la- the final oh, four on nice. this list. I have, okay, so. great, great, great. Uh, what is number four, Reed? So number four, uh, directed by David Fincher. Um, a bit of a unique film in his filmography. Uh, it's Panic Room, starring Jodie Foster. Uh, I remember seeing this in the theater, I but it was long before... and Because this, this film obviously followed... Seven, not immediately because it was like five years earlier, but I had no awareness when I saw Panic Room in the theater that it was the director of Seven. But I remember, I I, I remember Panic Room being a very effective, uh, incredibly taut little thriller. Um, but again, like so many of these, it has been quite a few years since I've revisited it. But I have fond memories of it. And for Fog Cannon followers, David Fincher also. Uh, as Reed just referenced, uh, directed Seven and Zodiac, both of which yes. are in yep. the Fog Canon. And you can find enumerated in alphabetical order on the archives page of FreeBadPodcast.com. <laughs> um, number three on this list, uh, also Fog Canon. Was this part of a series? I can't remember. Uh, this is Monster Mash. Yeah, this was, I believe, Monster Mash. I think. Um, is The Ring, directed by Gore Verbinski. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The American we, remake. We had a, we had a... Yes. Uh, We had a lot to say about that on the episode in which we covered it. Um, Exactly. Go back and seek that out. Uh, Number two, uh, very, very happy that this is so high on the list. Directed by M. Night Shyamalan, it is the Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, Academy Award winning Joaquin Phoenix starring Signs. Signs is your number two favorite horror film. Man, 
What uh, a great flick. I love Signs. Uh, I want. Can we pause for a second while I go back and listen to our episode and watch the movie, and then I'll be back in a little bit. Just give me some time. I am insane with anger that you have left. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Uh, yes. Okay. So number two it was felt signs. wrong not to swing. God, what a movie! It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. If you want to hear us gush about it for almost an hour and a half, go back and uh, listen to our episode on it in <laughs> springtime. For an hour summer. and a half. Those were the days. Those were the days. That's what our listeners think. Uh, Number one on this list of best horror of 2002 and our featured content for this episode's recording is directed by Danny Boyle, starring Killian Murphy uh, and Brendan Gleeson, amongst Mm, a mm. few others, 28 Days Later. Indeed. Uh, We will leave our thoughts until... 28 or less minutes later. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, this is an interesting, obviously an interesting list. Um, we're trying to sort of track some of the, the patterns that we're seeing arise from some of these, uh, some of the, some of this material. Uh, Nathan, would you mind queuing up ye old uh, box office mojo and, and happily Riri finding what the top grossing films of 2002 are so we can engage that part of this conversation while you search for that i'm looking uh i'm looking over so it's interesting to me we're starting to see there's a lot of confinement here like cabin fever panic room signs is a film that heavily features you know that like basically the last half hour they're confined to their home uh dog soldiers has the features a, a large chunk of time where they're confined bubba hotep they are confined in uh, a nursing home through the majority of it, so it's just it's just interesting to me. Obviously, the film's all created by different people and started at different times, but it's interesting to me how much of the list involves basically a a, a threat imposed upon someone who is basically trapped in uh, in in a particular place, uh, and I find that really really interesting. Yes. Um... Dog soldiers. It's a good flick. Um, <laughs> did, you, did you even hear what I said? <laughs> well, I got caught up in the box office mojo list real quick. Now, this is fun. So the top five worldwide box office of 2002. We are in the just thick of franchise fever. You know, I'm sure there's some academics out there, some film academics out there who would be able to kind of chart probably this era as the beginning of what of, of of where we even find ourselves now in terms of sort of franchise fever. So um interestingly last week the top film I think worldwide box office was in the eight hundred millions. The top for this year's is in the mid nine hundreds. Mm, so it's coming five number five uh worldwide box office. And it is fascinating. Uh in some ways it's sort of like uh you know just reading a box office list from the last year or so. Oh. Um, so number five on this list is Men in Black 2. Oh. Will Smith. Okay. Um, so Men in Black, Black 2. Wow, and what a disparity between these box office grosses. Uh, so worldwide, Men in Black 2 made $440 million. The number one, mm. that's four five movies difference. Wow. Uh, made $500 million more than that. The number four on the list is... <laughs> God love him. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. That's number four? That wasn't number top? Number four. Wow. Again, this, that's interesting. No, no. 
uh, we you kind of have an idea where this is going based on last week. Uh, that one was six hundred and forty five million. Number three is the first Tobey Maguire Spider Man, which oh, we saw together. We did, and we sure did. And, uh, premiered the night before the very first free comic book day event ever in 2002. Oh, that's amazing. I remember going to see this movie with you and Keith Cassidy and we ate us uh, and various other people too, um, who, you know, probably mattered at that point. Time, <laughs> <but> that was <laughs> if, <laughs> and they're still wonderful. People. Somebody's but, still sitting um, there listening like, Oh, he's going to mention me. He's going to mention me. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, probably Denise. You might've been there. Maybe Carrie. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Name check. Uh, and I, I have this vague memory of us eating, food at steak and shake i was gonna say dinner but do you really eat dinner at steak and shake you just kind of eat stuff yeah I get um that. so yeah first toby mcguire spider-man was number three with 821 million flip-flopping from 2001 oh okay okay is yes. number two is harry potter and the chamber of secrets yep uh with um uh sorcerer stone being number one the previous year at 878 million almost 879 and number one on this list is the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, nine hundred and thirty-six million. And you know, read. I mean, like we effectively uh, are uh, with Fellowship of the Ring, and shortly before that, you and I are officially at kind of twenty years of friendship. Uh, wow, you're there because That's I crazy. have distinct, yeah. I have distinct memories. Uh, and by distinct, I mean slightly foggy and <laughs> you know a little, a little obscured by time, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's distinct for you. <laughs> These days, that's distinct. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, but um, of having zero uh, awareness or knowledge of Lord of the Rings, and I think you had stolen out to see the first one, mm. uh, like mm. like on your own, and I was really unsure of what it was, and I, re- I just have this memory of you telling me about lord of the rings me like what okay so and then going to see it and then subsequently with fellowship watching it at home with subtitles on and gaining a whole new understanding of oh. what on earth i was watching <laughs> wow just because there's so many names and proper places sure, you know proper course. names and places and stuff in those films anyway so yes uh top five of 2002 men in black two attack of the clones first toby spider-man chamber of secrets and two towers that's fun yeah that's awesome so yeah it's interesting it feels like the you know obviously for the top grocers we're going to start getting into the big spectacled variety in the horror community it um it appears that there was some sense of at least, you know, going back to 2001 when these would have been uh, sort of conceived and, and, and fashioned and created. Obviously, we talked last week, we addressed that 2001, obviously, towards the end in September, there was, uh, you know, the devastating attack on the Twin Towers. And it's amazing to me to then see as we're, going to do uh, what begins to progress out of that and again I just the overwhelming theme to me of 2002 is uh, and and 28 days later doesn't really well no actually we'll get into that in a few minutes it does have an element of this 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 element of confinement and this element of of uh, feeling trapped and uh, feeling like a threat is sort of imposing on you in a way that you uh, there's no easy way out or no uh, quick escape from from the threat again, looking at dog soldiers taking place in a, a wooded cabin, Bubba Hotep in a nursing home. Uh, one hour photo. I think the majority of the it's not a confinement story, but I think the majority of it takes place in the store where he works. Cabin fever is directly confined. Panic room is confined. Signs is confined towards its uh, last half hour. So there's just a there's a lot going on there. But uh, 
yeah, that was that was your top ten favorite horror films of 2002 in this installment of 2020-2020. If you want, if you are you know concerned about these placements or you're interested to cast your vote, go over to thefearofgodpodcast.com, follow the banner to take the surveys. We will tally your votes over the next few weeks and through the remainder of the year, uh, taking little breaks along the way. But we need your participation. Go to the website to check it out and vote. All right, Riri. So... Uh... This is fun. This I know. Fun. I'm loving I like, it. I'm uh, loving it. I hope our you listeners know, I am not a good time. I'm not a good list maker and <laughs> but I do enjoy sort of assessing lists unless it is like to-do lists, uh, honeydew lists, you know, yeah. like chore lists. Like that. Ah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is more fun like, hey, what movie made more money than what other movie? <laughs> this I'm enjoying you know? indeed. Yes, yes. So today we are discussing Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later and I know he had train spotting before this. I don't know. Was do you know was there anything else between this and train spotting? And I think train spotting's his first. I uh, I think train spotting is his debut to be I I'm pretty sure that there were movies in between, but I'm actually going to look it up in real time and see because I don't want to I'm going to I'm going to challenge you and say I, I don't think you're right. You think that it is just train spotting and then straight to 28 days later, huh? Um, if only because I know from the from the trivial bits that you and no you're no, right no. there was another uh, island he made uh, um, uh, the beach so the beach yeah so but there were actually the there beach, were actually you know. there's a lot of TV movies and there's uh, a few TV episodes but in terms of film uh, his debut was not Train Spotting it was a film called Shallow Grave which I have seen but have mm. almost no memory of but then uh, Train Spotting A Life Less Ordinary then The Beach and then a couple of other TV movies, and then 28 Days Later. So there's a. it sounds like there's a. there was a few things sort of along the way. The Beach also, as is 28... What'd you call me? <laughs> right. Um, as is 28 Days Later, The Beach, I believe... I know it was written by Alex Garland. I, I believe the screenplay was, but I think Alex Garland even like wrote the source material, possibly even like a novel on which it was based or something. But uh, The Beach is also an Alex Garland story starring uh leonardo dicaprio but right um but yeah so uh, well i do i do find as as harrowing as 28 days later is i I still think uh and look forward to when this film's year hits i think of danny boyle's films the scariest is probably uh slumdog millionaire that's a real (laughs) you know what's funny about that is that actually that's (laughs) i'm just kidding everyone i love slumdog millionaire oh that's one of the uh there's a trio of films that when my wife and i were uh first dating there's a you know we love movies and so went out to see a lot of movies and uh slumdog millionaire was one of them that was around that time and it was uh yeah yeah fond memories who wants to be a millionaire oh it was really good yeah so but we're not talking about who wants to be a millionaire we are talking today about 28 days later and riri Trivial bits time. Yeah, I wish we had a jingle for it. Maybe we. How, why don't you work trivial on that bits, for trivial bits? Now it's time for trivial bits. Hey hey. Oh okay. All right. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I mean for spontaneity, it's fine. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I need a slide whistle. <laughs> <laughs> What in the world? <laughs> oh my god! I'm glad you are putting timestamps on our episodes these days. Yeah, people are gonna be like, "Indeed, nah, I'm good. I don't need no list. I just want to talk about the movie." Uh, um, so yes, we, yeah, we are bits. on trivial bits. Um, Indeed. Did you know, Reed, that this film was shot almost entirely in sequence? I did know that. Uh, just a couple of reshoots that uh, break the pattern uh, of that 
it was it was also uh, shot completely digitally, which was something that at the time it, it's not so uncommon now, but at the time was uh, something that was pretty daring and uh, a bit experimental. I don't think it was the first film to do that, but it was one of the first, and and it was definitely the first film to have so much prominence for have done for having done that. Uh, I actually really love, and we're not going to go just didactically through every single thing on IMDb, but there are some fun ones in here. Uh, I really love um, that Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris, who plays Selena, developed a backstory for to sort of explain her character's kind of aggressiveness. And the backstory they came up with is pretty, is pretty dreadful. It's pretty grim. And it's, yeah. it's that she was forced to kill her infected mother and father to save her baby brother, only to discover that her brother was also infected. That's terrible. Uh, that's messed Absolutely up. Absolutely terrible. You know what else is messed up is uh, covering this film in the in the heat of a global yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get there. Pandemic. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Um, I just Ooh. have a I just have a couple of more that I wrote down. Um, yeah, uh, obviously Uncle Stevie Stephen King is a huge fan of this film, heavily promoted it, and even rented out an entire theater for a showing of it. I think with some of his um, friends and family. Another bit we had, you had mentioned it earlier that uh, Ewan McGregor was actually supposed to play the lead instead of Killian Murphy um, but at the time that he, at the time he and Danny Boyle were in the midst of a falling out he had starred in Shallow Grave he had uh, starred in Train Spotting and then I forget I did not find what the situation was that caused this casting reversal but Leonardo DiCaprio uh, was the lead in The Beach and apparently Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle had had a brief falling out uh, which they have since reconciled but uh, I also found it interesting that Ryan Gosling was approached as the as the lead. That would have been that would have been very very different type of performance. But landed at Killian Murphy instead. I I love Killian Murphy. He's great. yeah he's great he's great. That's the extent of my I, trivial bits. Yeah, I mean yeah. I, there's there's a bunch on there. Uh, those were the ones that really stood out to me. So um, as we are want to do, uh, in a nutshell, this the summary of this film is global viral breakout it's it's a subgenre zombie film though not exactly but that's the general trope a general idea um i i did not see i don't think i saw this in the theater mm. uh but i can't remember exactly but i know i had seen it before and it is one of very few that you and I had pretty disparate views on initially. Not, I, I don't True. Think, I, I'm not speaking for yourself, like as in you didn't like the film, but as in just had some different. No, that's fair. Know, kind of take takeaways. No, that's fair. Um, I yeah. I, I mean, so I when I first saw this film, I was largely ambivalent to actively disliking it. I did admire the style, and I admired the um, you know sort of the ambition and and doing some different things with the zombie motif which it's it, it is essentially a zombie film devoid of zombies they are not like they it'd be probably more appropriate to call them like the infected or something because um, they're not they don't eat brains uh they're not dead they are very much alive they do not need to be killed by smashing the head they can just they can be killed the way any human being can be killed um but they are just infected with this this viral plague that uh, causes them to be completely manic and filled with 
violent rage and outbursts. And um, but I was I was while I appreciated some of those elements, I was largely frustrated by the characters. And there's something that I will get into when we uh, extend a little bit later into the likes dislikes. Um, that even still uh, bothers me quite a bit on purely just kind of. Uh, technical nitpicking but this time around <laughs> to your earlier just a few seconds ago statement uh with socio-political rage running just mm-hmm. rampant through our culture right now and with coronavirus breathing down our neck uh this viewing was particularly haunting uh edging on the prophetic and was a much more profound uh viewing experience i think largely for the sort of the culture and the climate that we're sitting in at the moment. Um, that having been said, I'm still, you know, a little, I've got a couple of dings that I, that I would point out, but I am much more fond of the film now. I'm much more appreciative of what it tries to do and what I think it does very successfully. You want to hear a funny story? Sure. Uh, Always down for that. Especially when they're illustrative of my idiocy. <laughs> um, so there, this is on Hulu. Hmm. And I went to watch it on Hulu. Okay. Because we are because we are Hulu subscribers. And I started it and I, I don't know a ton about the language of mm, kind of like uh high def standard, you know, like like anamorphic widescreen, you know, sixteen all this sort of stuff. So uh, what I'm trying to say is when I started the Hulu transfer, you know, the digital film I was it's it's full screen and I was like I don't know and, and the <laughs> like the the quality the visual quality of the film itself was a little like that first that first sequence in the lab oh yeah um, oh right right you know, right it's just right. real real kind of degraded yeah image. oh absolutely right and I was like nah I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna rent this I'm not gonna oh, watch no. I'm not I'm not it's it's like four bucks to rent. I'd rather watch it the real way. <laughs> certainly, certainly, Hulu has you know kind of cheaped like, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got Disney like the, bought the, the Hulu old, has cheaped out the, the, the old uh, the old uh, you know full screen format. Uh, it's like when you're picking up the disc in a bygone era at the Walmart, and the lady next to you is like, "I like it fully on the screen." Oh like, my no, you're a you're dumb. Um, wow. And so, yeah, I went and rented it on iTunes and it started and I was like, I'm so stupid because <laughs> <laughs> it is literally the exact same transfer. <laughs> it is the yes. exact same yes, thing. And I was like, absolutely. Ah, well, iTunes no. you got my four bucks, which that is if I were, you know, listing out my my appreciative likes, honestly, these days. And it's funny that you say that you had that experience. The first moment that I queued it up. I remember I found that oddly refreshing. I was like, oh, this is not a polished, shimmering, like I was drawn in this time around by the grainy sort of uh, yeah. almost home video quality to it. And uh, and that is something that actually, like from the gate, I was really appreciative of. Again, films today, by and large, are just very sleek, even ones that have a bit of a independent somewhat ruddier uh budget and everything this this one was by design uh pretty grainy and pretty uh muted down and the, and i did I, I i liked that a lot about it because i felt like it fit the tone of the story i felt like it sure you know it reflects the world pretty effectively um so uh so yeah that's just i, I really like that so about it. 
we can, we can get into specificity here, but it's funny. I, I know, and I'll let you share your eventual nitpick, however, from now or immediate it is. Sure, sure. And so I was watching this viewing with that very much in mind and just sort of generally trying to assess, okay, I really appreciated this, you know, 18 years ago, whenever it was, I initially watched it. Um, what do I think of this now? And I, I try to reserve um, kind of like you learned to be, you know, more judicious with the word masterpiece. Mm. I try to be reserved about what I just unqualified. Like, oh, I love this. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. I don't know that I would say I love 28 days later, but I will say I love the spirit of this film. Mm. Uh, mm. I think it's got a very, in a way that I didn't remember, there is a very poetic and kind of sensitive quality to the production, which feels counter to what you would expect yeah. from a run-of-the-mill, which it's not run-of-the-mill, but you know what I'm saying? Like, right, right, oh, right, this is right. this is the art house zombie film. Sure, As you just right. alluded, it's not traditionally zombie, but same idea, concept. Right, um, right. And it just has a real, I love the score. Mm-hmm. Um, I love little things and this this can launch us into specifics or you can double back on broader brushes as well but like sure sure i love how and and to me this is a signal of this film having more on its mind than just uh last man on earth type of storytelling right um yes indeed i love how long the film lets you be with jim wandering alone mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely. because because it's not like and what's coming to mind actually is what is, i'm really not meaning for him to come up multiple times what is the will smith omega man movie what is that uh that's i am legend uh, not omega man i am legend yeah yes it's not that this is not a character with purpose out foraging for food this is right. a character right. discovering utter and absolute aloneness mm-hmm. oh yeah and and you and to me, a lesser film would just establish the scenario, right? It's yes. Just, okay. Sure. Well, let me just help you, viewer, understand they're all by themselves. Right. But 28 Days Later doesn't do that. Nope. It, I, I didn't actually pay attention to how long it is, but that's probably a solid five to seven minute I think you're right. sequence yeah. mm-hmm. of just continuing to discover and realize and yeah be yeah. burdened by and be weighed down because of his just total aloneness yeah. in a world that, no, absolutely. that is utterly foreign. I just love so so on this viewing that stood out to me because I was really paying attention this time around. That sequence sure. stood out as like, okay. You know, this really does have something on its mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it's funny; it's hard to uh, it's hard to separate that. Like he wakes up in that hospital, and then that is a fundamental inciting premise of Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead: is that the character of Rick sure. wakes up in a hospital as well. Um, that, but Twenty Eight Days Later wasn't actually the first thing to do that. There was an old John Wyndham novel uh, called Day of the Triffids, which gets a lot of uh, sort of nominal comparisons to 28 days later and uh, that character also wakes up after the big plague uh, in a hospital to the devastation but you're right that scene is uh, is pretty remarkable and i feel like 
throughout the film, it delivers these... It always feels... You use the phrase that it's got more on its mind. It feels that way in every single scene. And even in... And I'll go, I'll go ahead and mention what my major nitpick is with the film. Even in that, it feels like there's intentionality behind what it's trying to express. I, for whatever reason, in this particular instance, just can't, it, it always takes me out of the film and I can't quite suspend my disbelief to have it. My big, my big beef with 28 Days Later, uh, listeners of our episode on Ready or Not will uh, find a, a correlation here. Uh, my big beef with 28 Days Later is that they mention uh, in the film that Jim was a courier before the plague uh, broke out. He woke up in a hospital bed. Now he's just sort of foraging and trying to find his way with his group of friends uh, along the path. And then they enter this compound, which is populated by not too many, but about half a dozen trained military professionals. Uh, I don't know where they were in their military career, but... Then ultimately, in the in the last probably thirty to forty minutes of the film, uh, he, uh, pretty like cold and weaponless for the most part, manages to like navigate this compound that he has only toured like one and a half times. He manages to navigate the compound in such a way that he stays hidden from these trained military professionals, and basically, I, I, I call this the suddenly Rambo moment. It's like sudden. Oh my god. So but like all of a sudden this courier with no military background is is able to overpower so many of these uh trained professionals. And there is something to be said for like he gets the drop on them and it's surprising and everything, but I'm like some of the things he does, I'm like how did you do this? And uh and so that's that's I mean listeners could be like, "Reed, come on. You're you're thinking too much about it." And maybe you're right, but it's such a strong pivot in the film that it, it it bothered me in the first viewing to where it actively caused me to dislike a large chunk of the film. Uh, it still bothered me in this viewing, but not to the effect of downgrading uh, my appreciation for what the film's trying to do. But that's my that's my major nitpick with 28 Days Later, is this like, there's no way this courier would have been able to overcome these military professionals. Um... I am actively resisting going there yet because I do I love this movie and I want to spend some time with some other elements uh, but mm. I, that is not me ignoring what you're saying cuz it has value um everything you say has value Reed. um mm. you're a valuable fellow so I appreciate that um uh and yes that was what I was paying attention to more directly this time just knowing from however many years ago at this point when we compared notes that that was your you know, kind of stumbling block. And so I just, sure. So sure. yeah, we'll come back to that, but um, I, I'm jumping all over the film here, but <laughs> knowing our mutual love of this actor read, is there a more badass image on film than Brendan Gleason at the top of stairs in riot gear, towering, ready yeah. to take yeah. on this little horde oh, of infected. Okay. When that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, oh, that's, that's so, awesome. so awesome. Yeah, it's so awesome. And I, you know what's funny is I had, this is, I believe, only my second viewing of it. It might be my third, but I think I think it's only my second. Uh, I think pretty contemporary to the time I tried it again to see if I would enjoy it a little bit more. Um, but the one 
moment or like the presence that was most indelible in this film to me was Brendan Gleeson's presence. Even before I was such a huge fan of his as I sure. am now, like his character and uh, his character's scene where he becomes infected and everything is just, it's really devastating and very powerful. And I, I yes, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like that image of him just standing up there, like it's so well, great. They, they better not come up these stairs. Like it's like, yeah, this, it's pretty wonderful. Like this gargoyle you know <laughs> sentinel protecting things so yeah i mean he is he's so great um no one in this <clears throat> no one in the cast is bad but my love for him just just makes every moment he's on screen uh that much more enjoyable um Absolutely. you know th- this is in track with what i would say i love about the production and its intentionality and some of these subtle notes Two things real specifically. One is um, the gentleman, his name is Mark. The, so, oh, yeah. You know, Jim is making his way through the streets and Selena and Mark find him and kind of take him in. Um, but Mark is telling the story of his siblings or of his family yes. and the airport swarm. Right. And it never cuts, the, the camera never cuts away from his face. And you could be, you would, it would be understood if someone missed this. Like it's that dim from a audio standpoint, but there is very subtle audio of kind of horrific shrieks and screaming. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even oh. catch that. Wow. Yeah. yeah I didn't so even catch as it. he's okay. telling this story and you know, uh, thank you to, um, Dr. Dre, uh, for my beats headphones, uh, things huh. like this come out more, but yeah, as he's mm-hmm. telling the story very low, you can hear audio of the story he's telling. Wow. Yeah, and it's really powerful. Oh, my gosh. The other production note that's a visual one and not an audio one that I just love and actually is adjacent to a scare uh, is when Killian Murphy, when Jim is at his home and enters into a memory of his parents. Mm. It's it's so beautiful. It's amazing. Um, Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. It, It enters into a scare. I... Did not recall the moment, but when I was sitting there watching it, I was so captivated by it. I was like, wow, this is this is remarkable. And I found it such a sweet and sensitive scene that then when the infected burst in on that, it's it was the moment in the film that was the most alarming to me because then the infected come in and like, like I was because it was the one like I remembered where most of the other thing like I remembered the infected guy in the bunker at the end or like in the compound at the end. I remembered the tunnel sequence kind of I I you know there were so many things along the way that I remembered. I did not recall that in the midst of that moment suddenly the infected burst in and I like I yelped. Read, it was, read. It got oh me. Uh, you know you talk about yelp so. I asked my wife, I was like, hey, you know, like, it's Danny Boyle, it's Killian Murphy, this isn't just some random movie, you know, like, hey, do you want to watch this? You know, you don't have to. She Now, in her defense, she was like, um, no, I'll look at Pinterest and sit on the couch with you while you do that. Like, okay, fine. (laughs) So I've got my headphones on. She is sitting six inches from me on the couch. Oh, my God. And Reed, I was was utterly unprepared for the infected jump in during the Mary scene, and I bicycle kicked the air i was so alarmed i mean it was it was like a it was like wiley coyote on his back like just woo, 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 woo. i mean it was and she you know she's here come the infected woo. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I mean, like, I, I'm, oh man, it undid me. I mean, just such a, such... I'm just visualizing you like a big human top just spinning around. Spinning around. Like, oh Lord, save Jesus. Oh, no, no, yes, no, no. yes. It oh, was man, effectively like funny. that. Before we get too far into scares, I've got two major likes that remain, but do you have any other likes that you want to address? Uh, just, just mentioning, not even like a major like, just mentioning uh, in passing that. The old Reverend Matt from the uh, Matt from the Leftovers. Oh, yeah, Matt I Jameson. Him. I had forgotten entirely that he was in the film. So yeah. that was a nice. That was a nice, and I don't. When we were revisiting these, I don't like look up cast list or something like that. I just I yeah. just watch it. And so when he showed up, I was like, "Dang! I had completely forgotten that he was in this. That was fantastic." So um, anyway, yeah, that's it. Yes, he, that was one of my two. The other one that again just drives home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This this movie's really growing in my heart and estimation. Oh boy! Um, I don't know that it is a cemetery, but in my mind it was a cemetery. The scene, uh, and what I wrote is the pastoral poetry of this scene. It's when the team is eating their take uh, after they've been to the grocery store. Mm, yes, and yes, they're yes, watch yes. they're watching the horses. Yeah, and yeah, Brendan Gleeson right. mm-hmm. blows the horses a kiss. Yes. It's lovely. Yeah, it's really and, and lovely. And actually what I wrote, and this will have resonance in a little bit, is the beauty in hell. Mm. And I, I, man, I just loved that scene. Um, scares? Uh, I don't have any more listed. I mean, honestly, oh. like, no, no. I'm not, and that's not, that's not because the film is, uh, is not scary. It's frequently will cause jumps. It's very uh, upsetting and disturbing in places. I just, uh, I didn't note any, with specific intention to uh, mention on the pod. So, yeah, go where you want to go. Um, the hello in the church. Yes. Oh, is... and then the that image where the, like, they they dart up yes. to look at him and then, like, pause for a minute. Oh, it's, yeah, it's pretty freaky. It's very, very um, Yeah, those dudes get up and just glare. I love the tunnel scene. That's great. Yeah, like, it's pretty harrowing. It's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, did, I did have the the how realistic is it that you could drive a vehicle over whatever it is they're driving it over and get completely to the other side and only have a flat tire but you know whatever (laughs) sure i understand i'll go with it um so i mean the last scare i have is just the bird and the body and the drop of blood i mean it's that that moment is so devastating. It's, it's so devastating. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting. And I, you know, again, singing the praises of Brendan Gleeson, he knows what's about to happen, so chooses actively while urging her to get away from him for his last sane words to be uh, to his daughter, "I love you very, very much." Um, it's just a heartbreaking scene. It's very devastating. Um. Okay, so. What do you want to talk about, theme, or do you want me to just open it up? No, you, no, you go ahead. No, go for it. So I've got. I'm this. here for. I'm here for the Nathan Rouse show. Is what it is. What it is. Well, I sometimes am, but I. There's a lot here. Mm. Um, but I want to. I want to gift you. Listeners can't see that I'm. I'm holding nothing in physical space, but I'm gifting right. you this scholar's stone read. It's been known to bring material wealth to people and oh um so metaphorical of you it yes you're a good man reed (laughs) it is all metaphorical so like my 
my gears are turning in real time as we've been having this conversation and, and you may have seen this listeners won't I'm, I'm actually adjusting notes as we go because like oh oh okay that one just got ironed out a little bit so my initial concession to you was going to be not that i think not that i agree that there's something mistaken about having jim do what he does in the end but that i thought because um and also for listeners who may have not seen this film yet and based on this conversation want to or watch it in prep for this conversation and didn't know to do this there is a very significant credits sequence um after after credits yeah Mm -hmm. um and if you don't see it this conversation will have a little less meaning um so what I was initially going to concede is that I think they made the wrong choice there. Like literally going into this conversation, my notes were Alex Garland and Danny Boyle, you know, uh, uh, cowed to studio interference to make the lesser ending the ending. Mm, um, mm, mm. And I don't know that I think that anymore based on something I just stumbled upon unrelated to the ending in my notes. Uh, ideally maybe you take out the actual physical credits that occur between the quote-unquote ending and the follow-up scene uh and maybe that achieves a little bit so i remember my experience of first watching this film and i think my energy around what the film turns into and i don't mean jim Mm. but the film like oh the 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 compound the right, the, right. The, and and Matt Jameson says it multiple times. People kill people. Like, yes, yes. The axis of the film pivots on that, mm-hmm. and and I, and it just always kind of impressed me uh, as you know a a early twenty something, really starting to stretch my film and story comprehension muscles. Of okay, this is something you can do. This is this is a a way to cloak something interesting in something pretty rote and conventional, right? Sure, sure. And But that always stuck with me, that, huh, 28 Days Later is that movie that makes you think it's one thing, and then it kind of turns into something a little different and deeper. And so that's that, coupled with your nitpick about Jim, is how I went into this film, was, okay, let me just knowing what I know about the film and having seen it, let me, let me just do the 3000 foot view here. Right. And what I would say is I think Alex Garland and Danny Boyle are too smart for Jim's kind of evolution to be just, uh, for lack of a better word, fan service, right? Like, Oh, okay. Now he's just going, he's going ham on these dudes at the end. Right. It feels that way to me. Um, and so by no means, do I think this film doesn't happen? The events of this film don't happen to the characters in the film, but I do think this film operates on a very meta level in a way Mm. that I didn't understand at first, because to me, and I don't, I don't know the inroads here. So I'll just start kind of spewing this stuff out onto the table and we'll kind of try to make a cohesive picture here. Um, So maybe, maybe to even sort of help my own brain wrangle some of this, I'll articulate the actual on-screen events for both of us to kind of spring from. So yes, Jim awakens in this uh, hospital. He's on his own. Then he meets this pair of folks. One of them suffers and dies. He and the character Selena uh, 
join up with Gleason and his daughter. They make they find their way because they hear this recording uh, that is promising uh, safety and even I don't remember the exact language, but it's like we figured it out. We know how to help make yeah, this better. the cure for the infection is okay. here. Okay, yeah. yeah. So they they eff- effectively get lured into a trap, but unbeknownst to them. And so what they where they end up is this massive military compound being run by Chris Eccleston, uh, who we will as we have done and henceforth refer to as Matt Jameson. And uh, Gleason gets taken out before this. So it's just Jim, Selena, and the teenage daughter, Hannah. Um, and you as viewers are are savvy enough to know, or we as viewers rather are savvy enough to know, okay, this not all is what it seems, you know, um, just based on the trappings of these military guys in this, in this facility. And a moment happens where Jim uh, and Jameson have a one-on-one scene together and feel, mm-hmm. feel free to fill in some gaps if, if I'm forgetting something, but effectively what happens in that scene is Jameson reveals to Jim um, in a very harrowing bit of scripting. I promised them women. Yeah. Yep. And you, and you feel the narrative shift, right? You feel yep. Yep. the, the ground move of like, Oh, my God, uh, yeah. what have these characters walked into? And mm-hmm. this is where is this where Jim leaves the compound, or is that he tries this? to? No, he tries to. So what happens is he tries to get away. He get, he grabs Selena and Hannah. They try to leave. They are surrounded by the soldiers. Yeah, overpowered. Yes. and then Jim, Jim is taken out along with the lone soldier who tried to assist them. Yeah, leaving. the dissenter. Yeah. Yeah, the dissenter and Jim are taken out. The dissenting soldier is is killed, and in that process, Jim uh, effectively runs away and escapes, uh, leaving him to be able to then later come back and and invade the compound and overpower them. Um, yes, and so when, as Reed has alluded to, what happens is uh, off-site, Jim, you know, realizes what's going on or has been made privy to what's going on and is making his way back to the compound and then becomes this kind of angel of death, uh, kind of lurking and, and taking characters out that culminates and climaxes in a rather brutal kill on the part of Jim. And, um, because one of the lead, uh, lascivious soldiers is about to sexually assault Selena, who Jim has come to be affectionate and attracted to. Um, and so he, he, intervenes and and kills him by gouging his eyes out and it's this very brutal yeah really excellently shot scene but very brutal so um i i really wish there was a a real poetic way into this but there there isn't so i'm just going to start vomiting sort of thoughts to you um so it 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 always stuck out to me and, and really did this time around that um and when i say this um I don't know, the scholar stone, this metaphorical idea. Um, at the beginning of the film, the scientists who stumble on the primates who have been infected refer to they've been infected with rage. Okay, well, yes, in a yes. in a very real, uh, you know, verisimilitude sense, um, you know, no scientist in the real world would dub uh, a thing rage. You know, it's it's clearly a a metaphor. It's clearly an indicator. What did you right. infect these things with? We infected right. them with rage. Right. Like, okay, that's and and that's tiny, but it's 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 to me the pebble that starts rolling down the hill of metaphor, right? And yeah, I get it. So so that's starting point. Ending point 
is people kill people. Okay. That then is our spiritual spine to this film. People kill people. And so ultimately what you have is quote unquote zombie as backdrop for a story about our own violence and brutality to each other, which is not new to this genre. But I think 28 days later takes that idea and elevates it a little more. And this part just came to me today. So, Oh, and, and, and the very end, um, Jim kills this man and on his way out, uh, there's this big escape scene, Jim, Selena and Hannah, uh, they're on their way out of the compound. Jim gets shot and yes. Hannah, he gets shot in the gut and Hannah is manning the wheel of this car and they plow through this, uh, gate to leave, but Jim is wounded. Well, and then there's just this freeze frame and then it cuts to, um, a really amazing aerial view of what you think is the word hell, but you come to find out is spelled out hello for right, helicopters right. And, and, and airplanes and whatnot. And what you find is, oh, Jim and, and uh, Selena and Hannah have all made it and they're, you know, kind of recovering and recuperating on this countryside cabin thing. And it ends with them hearing and running and waving to, I think it's, I can't remember if it's a helicopter or a plane or whatever, but yeah, point being rescue is imminent. Well, then yes. credits start rolling. We're all left with a little bit of a happy feeling that our, our heroes made it. Uh, midway and or towards the end of the credits, film resumes, and it just says, what if, on the screen. And yeah. that what if is it cuts, it resets to the escape in the car. They, instead of uh, freeze frame, end up in a hospital uh, where Selena is trying to save the life of Jim and fails. Uh, yes, and the and, and this sequence ends with Hannah and Selena who have been robed in these beautiful red dresses because they are the women who have been promised to these soldiers. So it's very yeah. iconic imagery of them exiting this hospital. So those are the things you have. My initial take was I wish they'd used that other thing, but something revealed otherwise. So front of the film, you have rage. Spine of the film is people kill people. The reason Jim's evolution doesn't bother me is Jim is our literal every man. And, yeah. and this movie is positioning that infected or not rage is in us all. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even today you made a joke about his occupation and, and I'm actually you know, it's easy to miss, uh, when it happens. So this actually isn't me, you know, kind of picking at you, but you made oh, reference, sure, you made sure, reference sure, sure. to accountant and I was like, well, no, he's a courier and dude, even that right, I was right. like, Oh my God, he is a carrier Reed. Ah, uh, yes, yes. He is right, one who carries. Right. He infection is inside of us. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's not, it's, it's in the blood as it were in the film. Mm-hmm. And so why the Rambo moment doesn't bother me is because, I think a lot about the film road to perdition and this comes up mm, in this conversation mm-hmm. here because uh, spoiler alert for road to perdition. If you've never seen it, one, it's a fantastic film Two, Tom Hanks dies. Well, watching the film road to perdition years ago, even watching it initially, I was like, he has to die. Like this is right. The nature right. of a yes. morality play is the one who, however much we are on his side commits heinous wrong. 
cannot mm-hmm. cannot doesn't mean he literally has to die, but he is not granted the next path of this story. Right, right. So too with Jim and this, and I'm I'm a little scattered, and, and I apologize for that. But it's trying to wrap all this up, but not yeah, for, not for finishing, but for trying to develop a through line here. But to me, because Jim becomes this iconic man, uh, literally and figuratively, he must then enact the spiritual spine of the film, which is people kill people, and what this yeah. movie is after is cycles of violence and brutality of us towards each other. And the, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and to me, Jim releasing Maylor, who is the chained infected at the, at the compound is not what dooms him. It is the act of murdering this man. It mm-hmm. is. And, and what clicked with me in a real profound way today is to get biblical on us a little bit. The film starts with Jim as Adam. What is the very first image of Jim? It is stark, He's completely naked, stark yeah. naked, completely in full view of the camera. It is not hidden. It is not obscured. It is a grown naked man on a bed incapacitated. Okay. Right. Well, that is iconic. That is meaningful. So right. you've got, you've got this Adam character, this every person character, and then you've got Cain murdering Abel over his birthright. Right. Mm -hmm. It is you Mm -hmm. have taken that which I have now decided is mine. Right. And and that to me is is that scene is so brutal. And I think that's its point. Right. That, you know, it is shattering a stone over another man's head. And I I didn't mean to make a parasite reference there. Yeah, I understand, though. Respect. (laughs) 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 And. So the last two puzzle pieces I'm going to throw out here, and then I'm going to try to stop talking and see what your thoughts are here, and and if I've at all ironed out any of the wrinkles you had here. But my initial problem with going with what are perceived as two different endings gets a little ironed out if you remove that middle section of credits sequence or just pretend it's not there. Because, Reed, what happens? So we cut to flash. I'm sorry, the flash, the frame freezes in the car. What is the next shot? 28 days later. Well, that's what's text on screen. What is the physical image that happens? Do you remember? Yeah, it has like a, a, a like two-second flash of them in the hospital and her like curing him. Yes. And then he wakes up. And then he wakes up in the bed. Um, almost, well, he's clothed this time. He's, he's bandaged. He's got his shirt off, but he wakes up in a bed much more pastoral he 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 opens his eyes mm-hmm. yes. uh, close up on his face and, there, and and it's already been referenced once in this conversation you're forgetting one piece of footage and that is uh an aerial shot when 28 days later appears on screen there's an aerial shot of the countryside and what's written oh, on the ground yes hell yep i think my interpretation is yes jim's mm. choices have doomed him we we, uh, we create yeah. a hell of our own design and that what mm-hmm. actually literally happens in the physical real is they don't save him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and more than that, you know, because I I think so highly of and, and I haven't even seen everything they've done, but as in just as far as Garland is concerned, go listen to our Annihilation conversation. Um, I love Ex Machina. Like I didn't even know he wrote this until I started it the other night. And I'm so such a respecter of these two guys brains and how they execute their stories. Right. That it's, you know, these puzzle pieces fit somehow. And 
to me, my takeaway is the film is asking us the question, how do we break the cycle? And, yeah. mm. and mm. I'm, I am going to make a supposition that is rooted in our conversations that is rooted in our even worldview a little bit, like, like it or not, the film truly ends with the women robed in iconic imagery, right? They're not in street clothes. They're not plain clothes characters. Right. Now they right, are right, right. in the, in the way that Jim is iconic, man, this is now iconic woman. And I am going to posit for myself. My takeaway here is it's iconic other. Mm. It is, it is the non-dominant form, right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Eccleston, Matt Jameson promises women. He, he is gifting he is using non-dominant other to pacify dominance, right? Mm, yeah. And I right. think for our purposes, as I sort of engage and am inspired by this text, it's um, our submission, our deference to a non-dominant other. You know, critics would be like, oh, you know. Equality, you know, you, you say you're for equal, whatever, and you're, you're elevating the woman. Yes, I kind of am. But I'm also saying whatever is not us is more than likely going to be the thing that saves us. Right. Mm, and we, yes, per we, right. Per we participate in that, but you know, I, and I'm kind of going all over the place and, and feeling a little out and I'm feeling a little naked on a bed right now and <laughs> I need someone to put me, something on me, me, me even if it's in. a red I'll, dress I'm okay I'll with throw, that I'll throw a, a, a hospital sheet over you yes um, yes so does this make any sense I mean like am oh, I it absolutely no it absolutely does no you're not in the weeds and and I will say that as as I've frequently referenced on the show like I I am very very comfortable with metaphor and viewing even my nitpick of the the final 30 minutes of the film as as this metaphorical observation of how people kill people and and this um uh, progression within jim as a character and what it means to the larger scope of what the film's trying to say i can completely get on board with that to the degree that i no longer fuss about a way they could have done it differently like i accept it this is what they're after this is what they're trying to express um so i get that one of the things that stood out to me that you that you didn't mention that was from that scene where Eccleston is talking to him is do you do you remember what he said about why he promised them women no uh he says because women are a future like they could and, and the reason he did it is because he was losing control of the group and sure. he found yes. one of them about to end his life and uh, here's what i feel from what you're saying I'm tracking. I feel like I'm tracking mostly with with what you're talking about about the these, um, you know, people kill people. We talk at length on the show or have before about the uh, what, what what we've sometimes dubbed the commoditization of mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. and the way that people are means to an end that they are a product. And so, what stands out to me, mirroring some of my own thoughts with what you have expressed, is. He promised them women because women equal future. And what he has then basically positioned is we need these people to produce our future. And so we are going to build our future on the backs of these people. We are going to 
Subjugate. Um, Subjugate, yes, perfect word. We're going to conscript them into our means because that is our future. It does not matter what they have to say about it. Their agency, their autonomy, their Mm -hmm. desires, Mm -hmm. all none of that matters. I promised them women because women equal future. That's what Eccleston says, and that is the um, the sort of impulse behind why um, he is so monstrously willing to basically <laughs> coerce them into like, uh, yes. Yeah, so you're in our nexus now, uh, the, which is is a horrific thought to think about. Not only the adult woman, which is horrific in its own end, but this, you know, uh, this younger teen girl is right. is also going to be uh coerced into these purposes that is the that is the setup of the film thankfully thankfully uh the film never goes to a place that is uh visually you know too far down that path uh for for listeners who may be sensitive to that kind of material the subject and the theme are definitely there the film never exploits that um but uh that is what what latched onto me it's not just that they are the other, the uh, the underrepresented. It's not just that. It's that in the eyes of this leader and these soldiers, they are now product, commodity. They are they are uh, a- an ingredient to their future, and they are nothing more than that. They are not human beings. They are not uh, able what? to substantiate things on on their own volition. Um, I can get to Jim in a second, but you've got something well, burning. I, I mean, what you, what I mean, to even to even add and 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 you know kind of uh solidify even further like whether this was intentional or not i don't know but i do think it matters especially to american history but adult black women are of of which selena is yeah, uh, yeah. um uh, not caucasian are are preyed upon uh sexually yes. Uh, yes. so, so you've got not just woman, but, you know, a brown bodied woman. So you've got, uh, someone who societally is already preyed upon at greater and greater sort of volume as it were, uh, in a brown bodied woman, adult woman. And you've got, uh, a most vulnerable, uh, teen. like th- those are, yes, right. Which, which good Lord just adds to the weight of, the agency and empowerment of those being the ones who walk away into new reality at the end. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's really yes. powerful yeah. imagery, you know, but, but, and, and, and we take it that way. Did you read in your trivial research why they changed it? Which blows my mind that they, that I know, there was yeah. concern that you, you can clarify this, but my memory is simply that there was audience concern that what, was being positioned by the film was them unable to make it in whatever's next for themselves, which is wild and reveals a whole lot of interesting bias. Yes. The, the audience presumed with that ending that Hannah and Selena were wandering out to their death and, uh, that they would not be able to survive, uh, past that moment. And because of that, they changed the ending to the sort of the pre-credits ending, um, so that it would be more firmed up that Selena and Hannah survived the events of the film. But um, getting to getting to Jim and getting to this sort of this uh, this transformation that he has, I'm sure I read it. 
I picked up on it a bit visually, but I'm not savvy or smart enough to know that it was like this intention. There was a very specific, I'm going to be really deficient in being able to describe it, but there was a very specific camera aesthetic whenever the infected rage people were on screen. The camera would have this sort of jerking quality to it. Uh, the entire final you know, 30 minutes of the film, whenever Jim is acting against the soldiers, the camera takes intentionally the same exact effect, even though Jim himself sure. is not infected. So, so another reason, even beyond your case for it, which was well made, that I'm that I'm so on board with your metaphor idea is that they're making a direct visual connection yeah. to the in, rage infected and what Jim is doing at the end. Though he is not infected by the virus, he is still um, succumbing to the rage that 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 lives within him. And um, it's an interesting it's an interesting moment that we're. And, and I'm not making this all about this, but uh, my wife and I are going to be a little jokey about this part of it, but. Uh, as of right now, who knows how three weeks from now this is all going to be viewed or said or whatever, but at this moment that we're recording, uh, coronavirus is is uh, hotly debated in terms of its uh, threat level and in terms of its impact on people. But what is not debated is that nobody in the world can buy hand sanitizer, and inexplicably, uh, toilet paper is also very hard to come by. We, uh, you know, like it, lots of the shelves are just empty, like it's just looted, and 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 uh, you know, people are out of uh, water and toilet paper and hand sanitizer. And my wife and I were commenting in in different ways about like. Like, what in the world translates about what's happening with this virus to, okay, uh, it's, a, it's a bronchial sort of uh, respiratory attack by all the toilet paper. <laughs> like, where, where is the, that, you know, disconnect happening? But what it really stems from is, and this gets to something interesting that I'm not actively trying to sort of be clever here, but what we observed in the top 10 list of 2002 is all, all these sorts of ideas of confinement. And... um Here's what's interesting to me about 28 Days Later. I'm going to try to wrangle this down uh, cohesively so that maybe we can eye towards an ending here. That what's happening right now in the real with the coronavirus, at least one element of it, is I think, this is just my supposition, people are stocking up on things because they are worried they may be uh, contained, either self-imposed or, uh, or uh, you know, mandated, that they'll be contained for a long period of time and they won't have essential supplies. So they're just going to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. collect and hoard and, and, and uh, collect things for themselves so that they'll be stocked up on what they what they need should the event arise that they can't uh, leave for a couple of weeks or whatever. And it's interesting to me how in 2002's list, how much, how many of the films navigated a narrative point, sometimes as the substance of the film, of confinement. You're trapped. You're stuck. And in 28 Days Later, it is posited by the dissenting soldier that we keep referencing. I apologize that I've forgotten his character's name. The dissenting soldier says, you know, this is not a global, the, the disease in 28 Days Later is not a global phenomenon. He said, it's not. We've been quarantined, he says. England, Britain, has been cut off. They've cut us off entirely. This has not happened all over the world. This is only happening to Britain. We've been infected. We've been diseased. And so we've been trapped. And that's his theory. And if you'll recall, when Jim is first escapes from the soldiers who were, who were trying to kill him, and he runs into the woods, he, lay, he stumbles, and when he rolls over, what does he see? Up in the clouds. Do you remember this moment? Uh, he's, 
He's laying in the ground. He's laying in the ground, Mm -hmm. and he looks up, and he sees there's a plane flying across it. And he's like, and when he sees that the plane is flying across it, it connects to him. Oh, that that soldier was correct. This is only happening to Britain. This is only happening to us. And that there is a world out there. There is a future out there. So I'm, I'm trying to marry a couple of different ideas here. So that is when he becomes emboldened to break in and and seize back control of the situation, rescue Selena and Hannah, get them out, is because he sees, and I'm going to be very deliberate with my language here, he sees a future. He saw a future in the sky and knows, like, they're out there. That is why he was so confident at the end that they could lay out the letters to the word hello and that there would be people flying over eventually who would see them. Is because they knew outside here, outside Britain, there is they're not infected or they you know everything is is sort of fine i don't know about fine but like sure. they they're in control of it the world is still moving on and so what that is pinging to me with what you're saying and what is happening in the world around us with this virus and what 28 days later sort of uh, pinged and and uh, uh, rose up in me is this idea of and you and i talked about this in completely different contexts uh, just in one of our casual we're friends conversation about how Despair occurs. This is not uh, something that I made up. Uh, it's something I heard somewhere. The psychological reality is despair occurs when you do not see a future. Um, when you do not see hope beyond now, that is when despair comes in. And you can have a couple of different reactions to it. One of the reactions that the, I think 28 Days Later lays out is you can then begin to see your needs as most utmost important to the situation. So I'm going to hoard supplies. I'm going to stock supplies. It's every man for himself. I'm just going to bring all this in Um, to the degree that these soldiers are now, yeah, we are going to use these, these women that have wandered into our camp as our future. This is going to now be our future. So you begin to devalue people. You begin to devalue the hope that is, that is kind of set before you, your own capacity to get past this situation and to move on. You'll devalue all of that for the sake of, I don't see a future, so I am going to to use everything at my disposal to ensure that my future is is uh, is secured, is uh, stabilized, and uh, and so that uh, just fascinates me in terms of this idea of, and uh, I'm going to say this as um, basically as uh, without trying to sound too bumper stickery, is I feel like we talk a lot about like faithful living and a faithful life and a faithful perspective. I think that has to always contain at least some element of your present circumstances do not define your future. Like your present circumstances do not define whether or not there is a future ahead of you. A lot of times we only look at just right now, the situation directly ahead of us. And if we do not see anything beyond today, then we enter into despair. And it is just amazing to me. And, what, and, and what's the name of the film? The name of the film is very simply 28 Days Later. In the film, future is baked into the title. Like the concept of the, what happens in the distant future or in the near distant future is baked into the title of the film. So in, uh, and, and I'm kind of... Can I throw I'm, something I'm t- at you there? Sure, I, sure. I, 
Well, I'm sorry. If, if you had a... No, 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 no. If you're going somewhere specific. Because what's funny about that is I thought about this today. I actually think for this film, the title could also be an application of it's just a cycle. It's the same thing. It's going to be... We, we yeah, are... that it's going to be... No, yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah no, I, I understand that. Um, but I think... And and the ellipsis dots uh, uh, are are important as well. That it's not just... 28 days later as a closed statement it, to your point about the cycle there are ellipsis dots after after the later i feel like uh i'm, I'm gonna edge into real uh bumper stickery language which i don't like doing but feeling the weight of time and and, and impulse to kind of wrap this up um the the notion that i guess i guess what future do you want to see what future do you want to be? You, Nathan Rouse, I think had told to you by someone um, in a certain context, and you repeated it to me, and it echoes in my spirit. I think we've even brought it up on the show before. But if you were to look at yourself five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now, 28 days later from now, will you be proud of how you're navigating your cir- your present circumstances? Will you be proud of who you are, of what you're doing? Um, will you be pleased with what you are aiming for in the in the future and what i find interesting about the moment we're in the cultural moment we're in is how prone people are to only think about themselves so we we are making this um campaign sort of uh artwork and we're making these jokes at the top of the screen about like yeah campaign and we won and you know all that kind of thing those are those are uh that's kind of the motif we've adopted for this year it's an election year um Friend of the show, who uh, former guest J.R. Foresteros wrote something on election day that really uh, impacted me, and I'm I'm going to make this kind of my final uh, statement on 28 days later, and all of these thoughts that we're kind of trying to wrangle down. He talked about as he went out to vote, he talked about the golden rule voting. Uh, the golden rule, as we've uh, you know, as listeners probably know, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's biblical. Um, it's this idea of that that is a way to navigate your life. Do to other people what you want them to do unto you. And what J.R. Foresteros had written down, uh, he had unpacked basically like vote unto others because most people tend to vote self-minded. Like I'm going to vote for the things that I want to see happen. I'm going to vote for the policies and the people that are going to uh, further my agenda. But how would that change if you voted others-minded? What is going to benefit the larger community? What's going to benefit the larger group of people? What's going to benefit the uh, the downtrodden? What's going to benefit the people who are suffering and struggling right now? And basically, like, vote unto others as you would want them to vote unto you. And this whole idea of golden rule voting or golden rule thinking when it, turn, when it comes to a crisis um, is something that is counterproductive to us because what happens is the cycle we're in uh, is a pattern of self-destruction where the crisis hits, we get super selfish, and then it becomes our undoing, which is what happened. I mean, they they left that infected guy in there, and then he cut loose and wreaked havoc on them, you know, at Jim's doing. But that's what happened to them. Uh, and if you take the final after credit scene, that's what happened to Jim as well. He basically, it was his own undoing, his, uh, his uh, you know, giving in to his rage. But we have active choices to be able to create a different pattern of behavior, to at least be able to influence a different way of thinking, a different cycle, to implement something else, a cycle. Because what's the other prominent thing that we think about when we think about cycles? You think about seasons. And 
or I do, you think about the seasons of, you know, eventually there is an autumn, if you will, sort of a dying away, and a winter is a kind of a coldness. But then what happens, uh, I live in California, so it doesn't happen very often, but it springs forth into new life. And you decide, this is my final statement on 28 Days Later, you decide what cycle you're going to be a part of. Are you going to be a, a, a product of the destructive cycle, of the hell cycle, if you will? Or will you, <laughs> God, apologies for the bumper sticker, okay, everybody? Or will you add that other circle of the O at the end instead of hell and turn it into hello? What cycle are you going to be a part of? The hellish cycle or the hello cycle where you are greeting the new, where you are ushering in the new, where you are transacting the new, um, or are you going to be participating in the decay and the destruction? Uh, and, and as Christ has said to us, all who seek to save their life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Like you choose what pattern you're going to follow, what cycle you are going to participate in. And I think, I think I'm done <laughs> in terms of my thoughts there. Well, it's funny because this, um, what you were positioning there called to mind uh the specificity yeah you you brought up and we are beating this drum of our you know kind of electoral motif and i'm going to get specific for a moment not to critique but to comment um uh on super tuesday a few weeks ago joe biden had this real um to a lot of folks surprising sort of uh, showing right and yeah it's interesting because i stumbled that day or maybe the subsequent day, you know, then the day or two after that on this, um, Twitter personality, uh, and I'll reference her here. Her name is Lisa Sharon Harper. And one of the things she said that really arrested me and she is African-American herself and, uh, Joe Biden has had, um, the American African-American population to, largely thank in the in the south and south carolina specifically to for his kind of resurgence as it were and right. it's interesting and I, where i'm going with this is is to intersect directly with what you're talking about because this woman lisa harper in reflecting as a black woman on what this meant she says the biden wave is about a revelation of the level of trauma our nation has absorbed and wow. More than that, she goes on in a subsequent tweet in this thread to say, in the middle of terror, dreaming becomes nearly impossible. When terrorized, you literally have one goal, make it stop. Wow. And it's so powerful to me, this notion of the cycles of violence and brutality that power perpetuates leaving powerless in the debris right discarded and broken and, yeah. and and traumatized in this cycle of gain and pursuit and accumulation and enriching and i think i think there's a lot of convenience attached to me a middle class white man being able to say this stuff so i don't say it or what I'm about to say, I don't say this with, um, with pithiness or with ease or, or think that it is an easy thing. But we, we talked a lot in our on writing episode about the notion of a holy imagination. And I think what, as Lisa Harper shares here in the middle of terror, 
dreaming becomes nearly impossible. You literally have one goal to make it stop. And I think read what is what is harrowing and an awful thought is the notion of dreaming becoming impossible, right? Mm, mm. But when you're in the middle of these cycles of violence and trauma, all you want is for it to stop. And I think right. for myself, and I think you would say for you too, like this is what the, the Christ mystery embodies is, is the capacity to dream is the yeah, willingness yeah. The willingness to imagine and sometimes force into reality an alternate perspective and or notion and or world that is outside of this cycle, right? Yeah, right. I, yes. I don't know. I don't know. I just, this is a lot that I really didn't expect to come out of this, but I don't know. This this film really kind of captured my imagination this time around. Yeah, and well, and it's easy to understand why there's there, as you put it near the top of our conversation, the film has a lot on its mind, mm-hmm. and um, and I think you know we're we're dancing around a lot of different things, these ideas of cycles, these uh, you know when you, in what you were just saying, I recalled the oft quoted biblical passage of you know where the Lord compelled His people, I know the plans I have for you, uh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Um, for a hope and for a future, you know, like I, I feel like the capacity to dream as you articulated it and to see a world beyond this present state of things, metaphorically and physically, um, is a huge part of the journey of faith is to be able to to envision, I mean, what does the book of Hebrews tell us too? Like, like faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Like I can look around at my circumstances right now and it looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty dim. It looks pretty uh, harrowing. But there is a world, a hope, a love beyond these present boundaries, beyond this present confinement. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, personally speaking, I I feel like we could you know go on for another. Uh, two hours on this. I, I'm 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 going to recommend that we uh, leave it there, unless there was something you really feel like was uh, left unsaid in the conversation. Because I feel like these are all uh, worthwhile observations. Uh, but I want to defer. Like, was there anything that you didn't get to to unpack that you want another moment to do so, or do you want to pivot into the fog meter? Um, I'm cool with fog meter. I think I want to figure out how to wrap my words around more of what I feel has inspired by this film. But for for our purposes currently. Yeah, I'm good. All right, all right. Well, um, as we as we do on every film, we uh, go to our very specific metric of fear and God, uh, measuring its scares and its substance. So for 28 Days Later, directed by Danny Boyle from 2002, your favorite listeners, horror film of 2002, um, on the fear measurement, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to give it, I mean, it's pretty harrowing in a couple of places, and boy, I mean, it'll make you bicycle kick and twirl around <laughs> in your room. Um, so, so uh, I mean, I'm I'm gonna give it a a pretty firm eight uh, on the on the fear metric. Uh, yes, that was the number that was materializing in my brain before you said it, and so I will bicycle kick right along with you an eight <laughs> for the for the fear. What about for the God meter? I think a lot of movies sometimes will utilize metaphorical imagery and whatnot as token 
notion uh, and and signaling of of metaphor, right? Like, oh, look, this means something. Yeah, sure, um, sure. I don't think this movie does that. I think it takes work to find what's there. I think it's incredibly an incredibly smart film, an incredibly well realized idea. Uh, only because I think an unfortunate occurrence is a little bit of a confused experience of the end. I, I'm going to give it a nine for okay. substance. Uh, I feel like there is a lot on this, on this movie's mind. I, yeah, uh, you, you've come, you, you've brought me a fair piece of, uh, wholeheartedly embracing that, uh, previous nitpick about, uh, the, the ending. Uh, and, and there is a lot on its mind. I'm going to give it a seven. Nice. Um, and that means that we give, 28 Days Later, directed by Danny Boyle, a firm, unqualified 8 out of 10 on the fog meter. Uh, very firm showing for good old 28 Days Later. Uh, how do you feel about that? You feel a little let down? You feel, feel good? It'd be nice if it was a hair higher, but I think that's fair. I think that's yeah, fair. I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, well... I think that probably answers my next question, which is, would you recommend 28 Days Later? Yes, I would actually, knowing how much I enjoyed this viewing, I could go watch it right now. I thoroughly enjoyed yep. this film. Yep. Um, mine, my affection is uh, a bit tempered by previous experiences, but I, I too would recommend the film. It's, a, it, it's interesting, stylistically very ambitious, and as we've said, has a lot on its mind. I would also recommend 28 Days Later. Um, so yeah, that puts this uh, installment of 2020-2020 in the books uh, next Reach. week. What are we doing oh next? My gosh. Oh my gosh. So next week. <laughs> next now, week. you thought, okay. You thought 28 Days Later had a lot on its mind. Like, oh man, you want to talk about it's got a lot on its shoot. It, it's, got it's got a lot got of a lot. something on its something. It's got that is a perfect way to put that. It's got a lot of something on its something. We're going to 2003 next, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, so we are going to be diving into a uh, Fear of God debut of one Mr. Rob Zombie. And we are going to be going to his debut directorial film. House of 1,000 Corpses. Um, I am going to say, which we don't always do, I am going to give a very strong disclaimer to consider discernedly if you want to just listen to us or if you want to watch the film to prep for us. Um, because this one is extreme in a lot of different ways. Um, and if you choose to uh, rent it and watch it, if you have not already seen it, then uh, you know be cautious that uh, it'll be on your feed. Uh, the cover art will be there for, for like a long time after that. So, um, so uh, yeah, more on that next week. But uh, yeah, so our film next week is going to be Rob Zombie's debut film, House of a Thousand Corpses, in all sincerity. Uh, look up a little bit about it and see if you want to watch it. But regardless, we hope that you will join us next week for that. Nathan, thank you so much for thank you, having Riri. this conversation with 28 days later and for all you uh, all you brought to it and uh listeners as I'm we say sorry on every it was episode. a bit unwieldy but that's no i i loved it i thought it was a wonderful wonderful conversation well, you're a, for it you're a good man <laughs> you're a good man um and listeners we we really adore you we uh and uh so uh, as we say on every episode uh fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week. Bye, Nathan. See you guys. Bye, Reed.
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.